Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of State of Sport Management, and not just another episode. This is the start of, I believe, our fourth season. Man, I should have looked that up, but (laughs) we are going to be kicking off here with two topics I've really been wanting to get to for a while. But before we even talk about that, I want to introduce, we have Dr. Renee Williams-Stowe, who is an associate professor of sport management in the Department of Health, Physical Education, and Sports Studies at Winston-Salem State University. So Dr. Williams-Stowe, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And so we're talking about kind of two major topics. Um, we've already done one episode on what's it like to work at a research institution, and we've done one on how and what's it like to work at a hybrid institution. But we've been really missing the key cog and what it becomes a lot of the job positions that are open and a lot of people end up pursuing is the teaching institution. So Dr. William Stowe is going to talk to us about what's it like working at a teaching institution. And then on top of that, her program is going through or just recently finished the COSMA accreditation process. I think a lot of programs in our field consider that or are, or are in that process or just recently finished. So I think it would be good information to put down for others to kind of prep ahead of time of, of understanding what that's going to be like. So she's going to kind of give an overview of what that process has been for her and in in her institution from her perspective. And then we'll kind of take it from there. But let's kind of start with you're at a teaching institution. I mean, what's it like? Let's just start even before that of when you were a doc student, were you planning the entire time to want to work at a teaching institution or what were your plans at that time? Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I was definitely planning on working at a teaching institution when I was working at um, working on my doctorate. And the reason for that is my background, um, I worked at a high school, I actually taught at a high school um, while being an athletic trainer there. and. I tell people like teaching found me. I didn't intend on going into um, academia, but (laughs) and which is good because I realized I really enjoyed teaching. And so I wanted to um, continue that just like teaching, engaging, advising, mentoring um, students. And so I knew I knew early on. Yeah, that was my destination, a teaching institution for sure. So kind of taking it from there, I mean, what are what are your teaching expectations at Winston-Salem State? So I um, teach a 3-3 course, three different um, courses each semester. And oh, okay. just to backtrack, I, before I started at WSSU, to say for sure, because Winston-Salem State University is a mouthful, so <laughs> WSSU, uh, I, was, I worked at a small private university, and I taught a 4-4 load. Um, that was also a teaching institution I've taught for four. So I'm like so happy to be teaching three three load right now. That's um, but yeah, that's <laughs> and uh, our um, instructors they sometimes teach four four, so they have more of a teaching focus because they're not expected to do the scholarly activities and research um, quite as much. They do do more of a four four load, but uh, tenure track we work three three. And so is it every semester you always work three different course preps or is that just happenstance of just maybe more often than not that you do three different course preps or is it always just three different course preps? Yeah, three different course preps because we are, um, is three uh, full-time 
sport management faculty and one part-time. So we don't have a huge, um, uh. so yeah, we end up teaching different, you know, and that's how it is, you know, in most smaller institutions, you need to teach more, all the different classes instead of having multiple of the same sections. So, yeah. Yeah, and I agree, especially if you don't, if you aren't one of those behemoths with tons of student enrollment, if you're someone right. that your programs may be 200, 300 student, well, not even 200 or less, the chance of you having two classes that you're offering in the same semester just aren't very likely. So, I mean, was that the same at your previous school that you had to work a four, four, that it was also like four different preps almost every semester? Yes, it was four different preps. And that was very challenging as you can imagine with doing that and, um, you know, research and service, it was a lot. So, you know, like I said, I'm actually <laughs> quite content with the, Three, three, and you're better able to juggle all the different expectations for sure. And so at WSSU, do you always teach kind of the same three classes every semester or do at times you juggle and move into different areas? Yeah, so um, it, it sometimes changes. I usually teach uh, two of the three that are the same and okay. then the third one uh, can change. Yeah, and I'd say that's probably got to be pretty normal. Maybe you have a couple that are locked in, but the other ones you have to float around and fill depending on if someone leaves or if the curriculum changes or whatnot. Right, exactly. And some some classes we actually only offer once um, a year. So uh, some spring courses, some are only fall. And so that's why that third one oftentimes changes. Gotcha. So not kind of floating into research expectations. So I know you're associate professor, so you've achieved tenure, but like, what were the expectations you had for research beforehand or that, you know, your other, other colleagues are having to achieve to get tenure at WSSU? Yeah, they, um, they expect uh, pretty much a minimum of about three peer reviewed publications mm. and, um, and then a minimum of three presentations at peer-reviewed professional meetings. And the, the peer-reviewed publications, <clears throat> excuse me, it can be substituted actually with, you know, um, grant funding, external grant funding, uh, being an editor of a scholarly peer-reviewed journal, you know, writing a chapter of a book. So you can kind of switch it around. But um, yeah, those are the research expectations. And I think that's pretty standard because my previous institution, it was similar there as well. And that was, you know, like I mentioned, a teaching institution. So um, I think it's pretty fair to, you know, say kind of across the board, a lot of these teaching institutions, that's about, I, I hear sometimes two to three, but yeah, we're, we're three uh, publications and presentations. And like I said, you can kind of switch that out with uh, grants and those kind of things. It's, it's somewhat flexible though, I think, um, compared to other places because one thing I, I didn't mention in our peer in our uh, faculty evaluation, they have um, minimum weight and maximum weight as far as what how our teaching scholarly activities and service is weighted. And the, the good thing about it is each department has the flexibility to kind of um, state where where on that scale they want to be for that semester. So for example, teaching can range from 25% to as high as 80% mm. of um, your overall weight. And so at the start of the semester, when we meet with our department chair for our pre-evaluation meeting, we have like um, our goals and everything for the academic year. And we discuss in that meeting where we want to fall on that range. 
for how much we want the teaching to be weighted in scholarly activity service and so forth. And I love that because um, again, we have that flexibility, but say for one semester, you know that you're gonna be really working hard on a couple of grants and you know you have research projects coming up. So you might wanna up the scholarly activity weight for that academic year. And then another, some, uh, another year, you really wanna go hard on the teaching and you wanna offer a new course try some new teaching techniques, you know, change up the curriculum, um, the syllabus, things of that nature. So you might want to increase your, the weight on that. And so that, that flexibility on where, where you want the more or less of the weight to be between those three, um, I think is great at this institution. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, I know when I was at University of Louisville as a doc student at the end, I think they were talking about having a variable load. But the idea that your variation or you have a variability from like 25 to 80%. That's, that's amazing. The idea that you can decide that, Hey, like for, I know we're not, I don't want to jump ahead, but like cosmic accreditation, like that probably took a lot of time. So you could just say like, Hey, this is going to count as a service component. So I'm going to move a significant portion of my, my stuff into that service thing or been, Oh, I'm going to work. I have two research projects this semester. I'm going to do a lot, or I have a new course prep. I love the idea that you can kind of decide ahead of time. Hey, I'm still going to give you my 40 hours a week, but maybe 29 of those hours every week is going to mostly going to be this, but next semester will be this. I think that's really cutting edge. Exactly. And like you said, that's exactly what happened because uh, the Cosmo accreditation process took up a lot of time. And so exactly, I got to put um, the, that service weight a little higher than when I was working on that. So exactly. Yeah. No. And so thinking about that, you're right. You say three articles. I've heard some schools talk about two. So I think two to three seems pretty... Um, at least pretty consistent from what I'm hearing as well. Mm -hmm. The presentations are interesting. I mean, is there any author expectations? Like, is it three articles and your authorship has to be a certain thing? Or is it just more of, don't really matter what your authorship line, if you're first, second, third, fourth, whatever, you just need to make sure you're published three articles. Right. I think it's one of those things that um, <laughs> it's unspoken, but you know that, mm. you know, at least one, two of those should be first author. It's not in writing. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, that I, when I was talking to my department chairs, like, yeah, you, you probably want to make sure you're first author. Um, just to be sure, you know, we want to, when we put our foot for our best sales forward so that there's no chance for them to try. <laughs> yes. Promotion. So yeah, that, you want to make sure you get that first author and at least one of those three. It's like unwritten rules are for baseball and tenure process. You're <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just like, I know exactly what you mean of no one says this, but it seems like everyone also at the same time also says that this is how it should be done, but it's not written down anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so going into service, um, and I know this will allude well into our cosmic discussion, but what are the service expectations that you have? I mean, you can even talk about like, what were the service expectations you had as tenure track compared to now what you have as a tenure faculty member? Yeah, so, um, you know, of course there's expectation, I think across the board for um, professional um, service as well as university service and then community service as well. The community service piece though, um, that one is, is understandable if, if it's not, um, a whole lot you're doing in the community because like say for example when I moved here as new faculty just a few years ago 
you know, I'm not going to, I wasn't doing much in the community because I just moved here. So it's understanding that, yeah, um, but the professional service, university service, getting started anyway, um, is what's going to be the, the most important. And then as you're getting settled and finding your groove in the community, the things obviously that matter to you and that matters to your discipline, right? So um, there's definitely an expectation that you, you kind of juggle that well and from semester to semester, from year to year, things might kind of change on where your focus is. But um, yeah, you, you're expected to serve or at least be an alternate <laughs> on um, committees at the university, um, and which, which I did before I became tenured and still do. And uh, then the um, professional service, of course, you know, being leaderships, taking leadership positions um, in professional organizations, things of that nature. So uh, that was the expectation before and still is, you know, a lot of things I've continued just because it's something I, you know, I have a passion for, a desire to do either way. So, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I always wondered with this, cause there's, we always think of like the researchers magic numbers. Like you said, there's three papers, three presentations. Is there some type of magic number that you feel like there is for like service, whether it's hours during the semester or like certain amount of committees that you have to be on? Or is it kind of one of those things you kind of have to feel out and realize like what is considered enough and or too much or too little? Yeah, so that's one of those things that you, um, you, you that whole variability on that scale of uh, the weight, I mean, from with the percentage that you use that you, you decide on the correct yeah year, right so then if you know that you are um going to be really busy with some research activities and not so much in, in the service aspect you know you might serve on a committee or two but it's not going to be that many then you want to lower that percentage or the weight on that um that criteria so again going back to that that's the good thing about it so there's not necessarily a number of you know this many committees this many they just want to see that you're at least active so if you are on a, a committee or two but you're doing a lot as far as you know your research or teaching that that's that's seen as sufficient because again you know juggling all of these uh, teaching institutions there's definitely an appreciation understanding that you know something's got to give <laughs> you know it's like you're you're teaching focused so service research as long as you're involved you're showing that there, there's an expectation that you want to contribute to the discipline, whether it's research grants, um, leadership um, opportunities and, and positions. But uh, as long as you're showing that that's what you're doing and you're, you're keeping that going, then I, there's definitely appreciation at a teaching institution that you know some things are going to waver. So it's not a specific number. Um, you need to be on this many committees, you need to be doing this many, you know, service opportunities in the professional realm, you know, it just, it differs. So Renee, I do want to ask about this because I do think like if you are editing a journal or if you're reviewing articles, I think everyone understands like what the expectation is there, regardless of your concentration. But Cosmo is a good example of someone further up the chain that's reviewing your annual evals. They probably can't just see that you're doing Cosmo accreditation and would really grasp how much time that's taking. So is that something that you would justify maybe at an end of year evaluation, or is that something ahead of time where you're like, hey, I already know it's going to take a lot of time, so I may not have a lot of other committee work, but this is going to be so 
um, rigorous or so time, such a time commitment. So like, how, how is that portrayed for you at the teach institution for the people that are potentially reviewing your file later on? Yeah, exactly. So the, the, that start, that pre-evaluation meeting um, where you're setting your goals for the academic year, that's where you discuss that. And um, meeting with the department chair, discussing the amount of time, you know, it's gonna take uh, working towards this accreditation. And yeah, that's where you say, yeah, that, that piece, the service piece is going to be pretty high this semester. Um, you know, it, it might be higher teaching and service and, you know, the scholarly activity may be a little bit lower for the academic year. So exactly, we, we discuss it at the start of the academic year. And um, yeah, that you have, you already have that expectation. And so at the end of the academic year, when you do your faculty evaluation, then you kind of go back over your um, pre-evaluation notes and everything. Um, and discuss what was met, what was not met, what you can kind of work on towards the next academic year. So yeah, there's that understanding at the start of the academic year, what um, those expectations are. Now, and bringing this back to that variability, you talked about how you have control over that. I mean, do they give, do the powers that be give you feedback on whether you should throttle down or increase more in certain areas, or is it complete autonomy on your end to decide what the percentages are? With us, um, it's autonomy, but also if the department chair kind of sees, okay, especially for those who are um, working on that tenure promotion, um, you know, I really would advise that you kind of work more on this aspect. You know, you've done really well in, in this aspect, you know, for the last year or two, trying to up this area because that's something they'll be looking at, you know, so they really do a good job of mentoring and kind of guiding you on where you need to maybe up lower in a sense um, for for getting the for, for getting the best faculty evaluation for your tenure promotion package so there, there there is some kind of back and forth about that sometimes um, so I would say a little bit of both of what you said you know you do have all time okay. you get that guidance as well as as needed you know and so I mean, I think that's understandable, especially because if everyone wrote in there doing a ton of service time, I could see someone like a department chair saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't all be focusing on this. Let's find a good harmony within our department that some people are focusing on this or that. But it's also tough to stamp those out within a semester to semester. Maybe it's more of, hey, we're going to have to focus a little bit more on teaching this coming up, or some people have to maybe take on this course prep or changes. So that seems pretty normal. Um, Kind of switching to thinking about, so you did your doctorate, I have it down here, is University of North Carolina Greensboro in their concentration sports psych. And then you also do your master's at University of Georgia in sport management. But thinking about even a little bit of your master's, but mostly the doctorate, do you think your doc program prepared you to work at a teaching institution? Or do you think that there was concern or like gaps there that maybe doc programs need to do a better job of prepping people for working at teaching institutions? I think with my experience being so unique that I was, um, I actually worked at the high school for six years before starting my doctorate. Yeah, that is unique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is unique. So I, I had the teaching experience, even though it wasn't higher education, it's teaching experience. And so that goes a long way. Um, so I, I was not a TA or GA when I did my doctorate, but I would, I will say that that's something I think that Sometimes, not always, but generally speaking, um, 
it's not it's not something that's required for doctoral students and it really should be. You should have that teaching experience if you are wanting to go into um, working at a teaching institution. And, um, you know, of course, getting teaching assistantships is, um, is a great opportunity that I would advise doctoral students to take advantage of. And really the more um, variety of classes you can teach, the better. So when I um, got my first college teaching job, one of the things I was told after being hired was that um, a couple of things that were the most appealing that helped me get the job was that my teaching, teaching experience, because again, um, even though it wasn't higher ed, it was teaching experiences though, that was really good. And I was told that's something that they did not see on most of the applications that they received. And um, that I was well-rounded just as far as having taught a variety of things because I when I um, applied for my first college teach full-time teaching job. I had the high school teaching, but I also had done some adjunct teaching um, in, the, in the area where I live at the un local university. And so I'm um, just part-time, like one class an evening type thing. I know it's a lot to juggle. Sometimes when you're working on your doctor, it's already overwhelming, but um, that really stood out. The fact that I taught a variety of different courses already. And um, so, yeah, they, they love that teaching experience. Now I'd say that that's something that is not always the case because you know, of course, the the they're preparing their, these doctoral students for you know the research aspect, oftentimes, and um, you know, just the content knowledge, but not necessarily how to teach. You know, that can be a, a shock going into the classroom for the first time when you haven't had that experience, and so um, that's something that's key, and really, not just teaching, just in general, but also teaching with cultural competence, um, you know, more than likely you're going to have a classroom that's diverse. So understanding how to teach with that cultural competence, that's something that comes with experience. It comes with um, intentionality really, you know? So uh, the more you're able to get that experience, the more you can be successful at it. I do think that is a, a pretty common complaint sometimes in some people I talk to from doc programs about not being able to be in front of students enough, whether that's something maybe you don't find out till your last year, or maybe you just don't get feedback. They push in the classroom, you teach at class, maybe you get course evals at the end, but no one's actually providing you some feedback with actually sitting in the classroom. And so obviously that can be a big detriment. I think it's awesome that you were at the high school level. That teaching has got to be invaluable. Um, yeah. So maybe that's what we should all do. <laughs> I feel like I was ready to teach on anything, anywhere after that, being <laughs> teaching a bunch of uh, 14 to 18 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. that just gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. <laughs> okay. So transitioning, we're talking about Cosma. So Cosma is the Commission on Sport Management Accreditation, and it's an essentially accrediting body that's looking at promoting and recognizing excellence in sport management education whether that's at universities, not only in the United States, but also international as well. And it also has, I think, specialized levels depending at the bachelor's, master's, and doctoral level. So it also depends for the people listening to um, Dr. Williams still, it's going to talk about her cosmic experiences. Remember that undergrad, master's, and doctoral level experiences could all be a little bit different, but that's mm -hmm. we're going to kind of focus this on her experience for this. But what kind of what was the motivating factor for you and your program to want to pursue Cosmo accreditation at WSSU? So they when they um, when I had my first interview, I was hired on in 2018. So coming in 
um, not that long ago, I was told that that's something that they wanted to pursue. That's something I'd be leading <laughs> the charge for. So I knew uh, coming in pretty early on, this was something that, that the program wanted and an understanding that it would be an expectation. Um, and then we kind of discussed a realistic time frame the first three years uh, to pursue that accreditation. And the good thing is um, the program already had the uh, Support Management Program Review Council approval, which was, you know, before COSMA, there wasn't uh, an accrediting, an accreditation for sport management. It was um, the Sport Management Program Review Council approval. And so they already had that and had kind of the, the need to continue to seek um, whatever accreditation that there was available. And that's actually across the board. That's the good thing about Winston-Salem State University. Across the board, um, if, if there's an accrediting body for that uh, program, that discipline, that's something that from the top down, their support and obtain. Yeah, that's our objective. Exactly. And that's something that when I talk to other colleagues from other universities, whether they have the accreditation or not, that's something that is imperative, really, um, because you need that top-down support. You need that support from administration, you know, everyone from the top down. And that's what we have at WSSU. So that was really important. And I knew I had that support coming in. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you know, five, 10 years down the road, you're still talking about it. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. Weighing the pros and cons, which is fine. But I knew that I had that support coming in. So um, yeah, hit the ground running, really. You know, something that I was um, working towards in my previous institution. So I had some experience. So it really hit the ground running at um, WSSU to, uh, and seeking that accreditation. Um, so again, yeah, it, it, the fact that I knew there's something that they really wanted and, you know, just with the, the cost, the time, the resources, everything you, you have to, everyone has to be on, on, on the same page. So that was important. And so thinking about you're hired then, so obviously you're kind of given this um, edict that, hey, if you get hired for this position, this is going to be one of the objectives or primary goals for this person to pursue. So you get hired, you get the job, and you know that this is going to be something you have to do. I mean, what was the process starting from that day one of getting all, like essentially achieving that accreditation? So I've mentioned some things like specific courses you maybe had to implement. Was there rigor expectations or paperwork? I mean, kind of walk us through that for us. Okay. Um, the the first thing is uh, being a program member of COSMA. So you, um, that's kind of the first step because there, you cannot move towards accreditation and not already a program member. So just doing the paperwork for that, um, the membership fees, making sure all that is uh, paid up to date and then um, submitting an application for candidacy status. And that's really, great, I think, of COSMA to do that initial kind of preliminary phase to the whole process because that candidacy status, it allows you to really understand and um, just obtain the knowledge about the accreditation, what it is, COSMA principles, uh, and starting the paperwork and the um, getting all the documentation and getting all the signatures and going all over campus and you know it's it's a lot so you're really it's, it's really the preliminary steps to starting the self-study of the accreditation 
And so that candidacy status, you complete the um, required paperwork for that, submit that, get um, approval to be uh, approved for candidacy status. And then you start from there um, your self-study. And we know that's uh, it's, it's pretty cumbersome, <laughs> it's a lot. They uh, give you about on average two to three months working on the candidacy status application and about six months um, typically give or take for the self-study. So, so it, it's um, quite a bit, but it's great. I mean, it's like just to evaluate your program from top to bottom, inside out from um, and every level of the university is involved. So uh, that really is the, the, the strength of, of a self-study and being able to see really uh, unpack your strengths, your, the areas of improvement, um, how you, the steps, you know, putting together a strategic plan for those um, areas of improvement. And um, again, yeah, getting everybody on board just to, to, for, for, to get the best program that you possibly can for the success of your students and faculty and everyone involved. So um, submit the self-study and then schedule a site visit. Um, and then you do the site visit, the accreditation site visit. Uh, then they submit a report back to you about the, what they found, you know, maybe areas that you need to respond to, areas you need to, need to update or um, recommendations for improvement. And then you respond to that report and ultimately the Board of Commissioners of COSMA um, just reviews everything the self-study, the report of the site review team, your response to the report, and they made that ultimate decision um, of accreditation. That's where we are right now. We have um, gone through the self-study. We have, we completed the site visit in um, late April. And so we are in that, in that stage of almost there. <laughs> you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, um, and it'll be pretty cool to say we're the first HBCU that has Cosmo accreditation. That would be pretty cool. So we're I'm looking say, forward to it. <laughs> that would be a nice little marketing feather to put on your hat. Oh, yeah. I mean, so up, so we haven't, you haven't reached the end, but when do you think this process started? Like, so what's the timeline that's passed since the very first thing that started in the process? Um, you know, the, the fact that they already had, um, the 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 approval the, the what what was like the before Cosmo accreditation they were already working towards that so that that helped starting this process and so the fact that um, you know I was new to the university so having to learn everything I needed to to complete the paperwork that was something so if you've already been at university that should be a little bit easier. Um, however, it is it is going to take some time and work, and especially when you're balancing it with, you know, of course, the teaching, the the scholarly activities, all those different things. But um, oftentimes, like say for example, I know Cosma encourages a course release, um, you know, some type of um, some type of uh, incentive, whether that's monetary, something is—it's just—it's a lot. It really is a lot to take on. So the course releases is a great way to to help with the time factor that it takes to to um, complete this process. 
So for me, um, I did have a course release. So I think I was able to complete it in that three years because of that, honestly. If it wasn't for the course release, I, I probably honestly would not be the, been able to do it. And again, that's just with the um, support and understanding of my superiors, right? Like the department chair, the program coordinator, they fought hard for that and got it approved. And um, so having that extra time to work on this, um, yeah, it took three years. And that was also with, I was on maternity leave for one semester of that. And um, then, the, you know, the pandemic. So that- I say a lot can happen in three years time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, those things happened. Um, so it wasn't, you know, straight through those three years, a couple of hiccups here and there, but um, yeah, that, that's about how long. So I, I would think um, on average, if you've been at a university for a while and um, you have that support, it's, it's very doable in um, a year to two years. Okay. And, and you've kind of gone through 98% of everything. I mean, do you think this is worth it for the program to, to go through this challenge and getting this accreditation? You know, I think it is. Um, we, we've actually talked, I've actually talked about this with uh, other colleagues as well. You know, it's kind of an ongoing debate in a sense, but I think it really is for the program, for students, employers, um, obviously the, the university as a whole to have this like external verification of quality provided through COSMA, you know, the accountability, we have to do annual reports and um, just that, again, that external, external verification is it, great. And the, of course, the marketability, the, um, just for you know, competing for <laughs> students. Um, and again, you know, the fact that we would be the first HBCU. So that, that's great marketability for our part. I think it is very worth it. Now, you know, I've heard um, the different arguments on both sides, just the competing overlapping accreditation programs. So some programs that's in business school, they may already have the AACSB accreditation. If you're in an education program, if you're um, if you're at house in education um, college, then you might have the NCATE accreditation. So some, some feel like it's kind of, we already have the accreditation we need, you know? So it, it just depends, but I do think it's worth it because again, specifically for sport management in our program, it's, it's great um, just accountability and, and getting that mark of excellence on your program for sure. Yeah, no, I, especially anything taking that much time, it's just, there has to be some areas in there that you're going to see program improvement just from having to review and fill out some paperwork and be like, okay, you know, this is a good point. They're bringing up something that we can fix here. This would help us or be more efficient or better performing for us. I mean, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of finishing us up here with a fun podcast question. I was going to ask you about favorite and least favorite class to teach, but we're going to avoid that for right now. (laughs) And we're going to talk about, since I think we're all excited at some point to physically go to a conference again in the near future, because as I'm talking to Tiger Williams still here, she's got this beautiful beach background on this thing. So it's making me think of conferences. But if you could choose any city that would host your favorite conference, where would you, where would it be? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, let's see. Okay. And so we can even think, so like, what do you think is your favorite conference that you go to, whether that's yearly or just every, like, every once in a while or there are like so many cities popping up in my head right now I'm like oh (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> so, okay, I'll say for now, just for the sake of this question, because I really have like at least five I could say right now. Yeah, it's one of those, I want to write this down for 45 minutes and think. <laughs> um, one of the really fun places was Chicago. I'm not from Chicago, and this was in June, so it wasn't like cold Chicago. <laughs> But it was just like, I love that city. The food was amazing. The, you know, the architecture, the buildings, it was just the, the people. I just had personally a good experience um, visiting that city. So like I said, there, there are several I could say right now because I, I I've never been to Seattle. So I'm waiting for one of these conferences that <laughs> I want to go to the host one in Seattle because I've heard so many good things about that city. So yeah, there are a few, but right now I'll just, I'll say Chicago and in, in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. June, June, Chicago is much better than January, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, um, Dr. Williams. So thanks for joining us. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so thanks everybody for joining us here on this episode of kicking off our season of status for management. We hope you join us for our next one.